Circuit Cast with your host, Mark Amory. Tenakoto Katoa listeners, welcome to Circuit Cast, discussion on moving image and art from Aotearoa and beyond. Now listen carefully, dear listener. Yes, you may be able to hear the tweet of birds, the sound of water, the beep of a car horn, you even just missed the clock tower. Where are we? Albert Park, the centre of Auckland. We're here on the road this week in the big smoke. And in this podcast, we catch up with Auckland-born and raised artist Tahi Moore at his new show, Psyche Rebuild, at Hobbikinson Mossman Gallery. But first, to AUT, to our critical panel, for a no-holds-barred conversation about a recent exhibition or film. And here with us in the room, our curator, artist and member of the Distinguished All Night Community Entertainers Art Club, or Dance Art Club, that's quite a mouthful, Ahi Rands. Welcome to the pod, Ahi. Thank you, it's great to be here. And to my left, Mark Jackson, a lecturer at design here at AUT and a filmmaker himself. Welcome. Welcome to you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Here at AUT University, our subject is The Light Show. It's a touring exhibition from the London's Haywood Gallery, uh, curated by Cliff Lawson. It brings to the Auckland Art Gallery, I guess, a twinkling spread of light art from the 1960s to the present day. There's 20 sculptures. I wanted us to start maybe with you guys telling me about a work that stood out for you. And Sure. It was quite an overwhelming experience because there's such a huge variety and spread of different light works from about five decades, I think. But one thing that really stood out for me was the ones that were... They did include light, but they were also much bigger than just, you know, being technological feats or glowing wonderments. One of the artists was, I think it's Ivan Novato, thought that uh, his second work, when you go deeper into the space, I think it's called Reality Show Silver. That work was just hugely powerful. It's a TARDIS light where you go in the doors. Yeah, so I don't know, it just ticked a lot of boxes for me. Like, it's interactive, it's a really visual feat in terms of all the reflections and um, the two-way glass and the... He's sort of coming from, he grew up alongside the Pinochet regime in Chile, and so there were a lot of sort of disappearances and horrible experiences around that. And so when you start to think about that, and then looking at this work in this two-way mirrored glass and all of these alternate realities, it's it just seems like a really powerful work. Oh, I didn't get that, but maybe it was because it was the end of my tour and I almost missed it. It's and, one um, of those things that I felt a little nervous about something like the light show. You know, you see the LEDs, you see the, you see how it fits into that broad theme, but then maybe the huge context that he's also speaking to is a little bit lost. Mark? A standout work, in a sense, for me, uh, in the context of there being some quite spectacular works, was, I think, is, is it Katie Patterson? It's a, it's a project that is very complex, it's very political, mm. it engages with fundamental questions of, of how aesthetics and technology, how science and... Um, cultural frameworks meshing and that particular work she had a scientist work with her to develop a light bulb you know our standard light bulbs are are daylight bulbs and she worked with the scientists to develop a moonlight bulb I think as of two years ago more of the world's population now lives in urban environments than in rural environments and what happens with the massive global urbanization is that artificial light the place of darkness yes Mm. and darkness is something that is increasingly rare and and hence moonlight is a very very subtle light that actually requires blackout apart from that glow of the moon and so to then in an ironic sense make artificially (laughs) that moonlight is, is is a double move on precisely the crisis mm. of yes. over-illumination, if you like. And then, of course, to exacerbate that, she has this big box there 
with a lifetime supply of these light bulbs. Yeah. So one will never run out. It's a conceptually really smart. And it, yeah. I could, yeah. it was the only work I could think of in the show which really did kind of comment on the connection between artificial light and our environment and what, you know, in yeah. terms of sustainability and resilience mm. that the light yeah. is doing. Yeah, I mean, when, when, when I saw that title, Light Show, I wanted to read it as um, an exclamation. Light Show, as in light show yourself. Eche Lux. Uh-huh. Behold the light. Yeah. And of course... The one thing that light can never do is show itself. Light only shows whatever. Light can never light itself. Mm. So one never encounters light. One only encounters the worlding that light enlightens or lights up or unconceals or shows. I was interested as to whether this is a show that's about light or is just made of light. If it was a show about light, for example, you could have brought in Fra Angelico and Colin McCann paintings, for mm-hmm. example. You could have kind of engaged people more conceptually in that way. I wondered whether you had any thoughts about what the show was about beyond wonderment, Ahi? Yeah, I feel like it can be a little bit problematic because it will just start to become a little bit of an inventory of the past five decades of light, right? And yeah. like I was saying before, it doesn't suit all work. Some of it definitely is an exploration of that medium, but then when you strip it from the context that it originally was made, often that medium was pushing outside of what the contemporaries were working with. But when you place it all in the show, light against light against light, these are all the light works. It doesn't. It doesn't have that same. Because it's not a movement, really. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't it's necessarily think Jenny Holt said she's primarily exploring light no or even bill well bill colbert yes but that felt quite awkward to me Mm. Mm. you can't underestimate what grouping all these people together is going to do and it's going to do some really interesting things but it's also going to remove a lot of the context from where those works were originally coming from which was often pushed outside of the traditional media specific to those movements that they're a part of Mm. and as as you said a little bit earlier in, in a sense all works explore light all Mm. spaces explore light all um um encounters but for the most part we we are not particularly attuned to the light that uh reveals a kind of spatiality we're not particularly attuned to 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 the fact that every every gallery space in that gallery down there had light works Mm. Every space had light work. Did the exhibition successfully make you more attuned to that, do you think? I actually think the exhibition made me particularly attuned to that struggle when light becomes the thematic element and how you avoid actually distracting from the fundamental question of light showing itself to the range of materialities by which light can only show something. Take a work like Anthony McCall's, which I think is a, it's a beautiful work. Anthony McCall's a really, really nice artist. And you can actually uh, uh, walk into this beam, this, this, this perfect conical horizontal beam of light. And you can walk into it. But of course, then you realise there's actually this very, very, very fine smoky mist that is showing the beam. That is, the light doesn't show itself. Yes. There's always a materiality that has to intercede, just as the surface of a canvas and the film of paint intercedes to show how the light 
shows. I, I was actually shocked by how badly that was installed, that McCall mm. work. I'd seen the Adam Art Gallery show, which was a very, very fine show, mm. beautifully mm. presented, and I was actually hugely disappointed by the McCall work. The quality of actually the, the projection, the floor was doing all sorts of strange mm. things, mm. That, uh, the, uh, the, the lack of being in a black box, it just lost its magic completely for me, but maybe I was coming in with different expectations. Well, it was my first experience of that work. I did notice a few things within the environment that maybe you're not supposed to see, so... Yeah. That could be a fair thing to say, but then there is that immediate sort of sensory delight factor when you enter that space as someone that hasn't seen his work before. Mm. And just like you're saying, that thickness of the light that at first you're sort of confused how that's happening, but then you realise that there's a smoke and the interactive um, yeah. walking through yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ju- just by coincidence, um, over the last week I've, I've read a couple of articles that resonate with this exhibition. Uh, Deleuze and Guattari's nomad art and of course they they rely on the 19th century Viennese art historian Alvar Riegel and his distinction fundamental distinction between the optic and the haptic and it's something that Benjamin picks up on in his essay on the work of art in the age of mechanical reproducibility and the point about the mechanical reproducibility of art and all of these works were basically mechanical reproducible art Um, that is, they could have sat anywhere in the world (laughs) in multiples without any trouble, uh, is that um, for Benjamin, they're tactile rather than optic. And so he talks about photography and kino photographic cinema as being tactile mediums. They hit you. And in that sense, when I'm encountering these artworks that are light works, there's a tactility to them that Deleuze and Guattari in their nomad art will talk about a closeness, a kind of spatial de-distancing, a closeness to the very materials that are mediums by which light can be encountered. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the social effect of light was something I was kind of interested in. We, there's works in there which I could imagine in a really big Hong Kong shopping mall, for example, <laughs> or you know, the, the idea of these as public artworks or works that just need the seclusion of, of a dark space. And well, there's other works where I kind of go, actually, this is a bit of a disco, and does it need people to activate it more? Because it is interactive, there is a social interaction between the gallery goers that you don't necessarily have in a more traditional sort of static exhibition. Yes. You have the knowing glances, or you sort of watch someone who's about to discover something that you just did. Yes. And so there are those exchanges. And then also with the docents and the security guards and... They just felt like there's a lot of conversation. Because it's a physical between. fabric kind of a thing, it, mm. in a sense, like you might have in a nightclub where you actually meet people. <laughs> it does create a social space in yeah, that way. Yeah, because you're having this direct experience, and then there are people around you that you may not know, but that that's, it becomes a shared experience. The Olaf Eliasson was one that I actually was disappointed with, which I'd read reviews. Clearly, mm. a lot of people mm. love it, but I, mm. I had the, the joy of seeing his big Tate Modern. Um, Turbine Hall Commission, which was this enormous sun, which just completely transformed people. Suddenly people were in London, were going to the beach, they were meeting people. People socially were responding to it and were incredibly changed with it. Whereas I went into that room with the strobe lights and I found it confronting and it Mm. just felt like a trick. I think it was the only sonic work. And and the question of... I I think there's something very interesting about taking the blind to that exhibition and huh. what was and, yes. and and here I'm also thinking about that exhibition that Jacques Derrida curated, and he wrote the essay Memoirs for the Blind, suggesting that the origins of drawing is in blindness, and that uh, you cannot draw 
on the page and watch the model at the same moment. You're either watching the model or watching mm. your drawing. And so you are blind to one or the other. And the question of memory is the question of a radical blindness. I wanted to mention how much I love the James Terrell work. Mm. That seemed to be more about space for me than light mm. in a way. And, yeah. and because of your background, Mark, mm. I was interested in how you thought this worked in terms of architecturally, this yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I can very, very briefly mention two of the famous myths around the origins of architecture. One of them is the Greek myth of Daedalus. And remember, Daedalus is the one who dodged the sun, whereas Daedalus' son didn't dodge the sun, and uh, his, his wax wings melted, and he plunged. Daedalus did dodge the sun. He didn't get too close to it. And he went on to build the labyrinth that housed the Minotaur. And it was Theseus who went, had to go in and right. slay the Minotaur, but he had Ariadne's thread. And of course, the notion of Ariadne's thread and Theseus is, of course, one of these originary myths around knowledge. Knowledge that comes to in slaying something that is monstrous precisely in the blackness of the labyrinth, right. in the darkness of the labyrinth. And it's the haptic quality of Ariadne's thread that leads you from darkness to knowing. So there are those works, and I'm thinking in particular of Tyrell work yes, that leads you through yes. a, a, a labyrinthian passageway of blackness in order to encounter something that is knowable. Which is common tactic yeah. with Tyrell's yeah. work. Now, yeah. now, now yeah. The, the, the other myth is the myth yeah. from the uh, Roman um, architect Vitruvius. And Vitruvius suggests that the origins of architecture uh, are around uh, a community lighting a fire. And at night, they will have both light and heat. Yes. And so here you have this illuminating object around which a community gathers. So if you, if you think about the dispersion of the kinds of works that are shown, um, perhaps more of them err towards uh, a kind of Vitruvian understanding of gathering around something. Yes. Um, yes. And, um, and that notion, that sense of the sociability mm. of the gallery space is that which you gather around. But then you have to wonder, like, what, what does it do when it's, it is a travelling exhibition and it does change context and it, it starts a conversation mm. with Aotearoa. It's here, yeah. we're hosting it, we're interacting with mm. it. And then um, that, how, that, do, you, how yeah. do you work with that or mm. um, take that into account and what does it do to those works? Bill... Bill or Colbert. Yeah, he's mm. in the show, but and I was worried it was a tokenistic gesture, but he was in the show in the Hayward version as well so mm. and then I feel like maybe the gallery has been working with how to create those links to New Zealand and that would come through the public programming that they've put alongside it which is really extensive and it's got a good mix of free and paid programming and I think that's probably quite a good strategy of how you connect it to a local audience. Well thank you Ahi Rance, Mark Jackson, uh, we'll finish there. Uh, the light show will be switched on uh, or you can insert some other dumb gag um, at or switched on until the 8th of February at the Auckland Art Gallery. Oh, kia ora tahi. Maybe we could start by actually just uh, giving us an idea of what's in this show. There's some videos and there's um, some notes. Some written notes. Some written notes. Mm. Framed written notes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are these um, 
dialogue videos and then there's one kind of diaristic video. Let's talk about that a little bit. A dialogue video is that one with subtitles. Yeah. And then what is a diaristic video? I was doing a show in a place and I was in an apartment in an Airbnb for like a couple of weeks and I had a week spare beforehand. I spent all day in the apartment instead of just walking around or doing things. Internal tourist or something. I was doing, I was doing like a psyche rebuild or something. Right. And this is the name of the show. Yeah. So, so I just like took some, took some video and made notes and stuff and instead of trying to work it into a thing, into a conceptually whole thing, I just like edited it just as a sequence without editing in, into something. So I just edited as it was, just left it as it was. Mm. And then I just made notes just enough to like be a note that seems to work instead of trying to draw some kind of further meaning from it. Is your work always that personal or is that a process by which you, you're kind of doing something for yourself personally as well? I mean, I'm, is it a rebuild for you personally? I mean, are you actually, is that what you're going through? Yeah, yeah, but, but then I'm also subject material. I mentioned this other artist um, who I've worked with before who will, who will look at situations and sort of document them. And then I kind of do that, but with myself. But what I do a lot is I'll try and work that into, into another dialogue, into like some kind of like something written or something, something by the artist. Right. Okay. Instead of something found. But my own, my own experiences are also, they're also just found stuff. There might as well be someone else. It's just that I've got immediate access to it, so it's easier. Your work here is silent. Yeah. Um, and you use subtitles quite a lot in your work. I was kind of yeah. interested in as to, as to why, why you take that approach. Because sound's a lot of work. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of editing. My producer knows that. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, if you make a movie, like, I think the most important part, people say, is the sound, right? And it's where it stands or falls. With a video, video in a gallery at the opening, it's quite loud. And then afterwards, someone's got to look after the thing. And then it's... It's got to it, compete always. Yeah, if there's like a sound loop, you, you, you want it long and interesting and like um, evolved enough to, so that it's not just this... All day long, yeah. But I mean, there's something interesting in the fact that you, you, you take away the sound but you give subtitles and it kind of yeah. reminds me that it seems that language or the difficulties we have with language or the problematics of language seem quite important to the work. Well, language is, um, at least latest thinking is, or according to Chomsky, is um, he quotes this other guy as saying that it's, um, language is for thought and the communication is a byproduct of that. Right. And I had this idea that um, I was trapped in language and thought was, uh, was thought versus language. Like language is for conceptual thinking. But there's also this thing where it doesn't quite translate, even through time. Like if, if you write something and you read it later, it won't be the same. And so these sentences are these things that slip around and they're by themselves. And, and it's another element of videos. And the videos 
they're like these pieces of um, these pieces of video that I think might be interesting and then you put them mm. together and then you add these other layers mm. and sometimes you, you, need, you, need, you need that extra stuff and sometimes it's just the video it does something by itself and it doesn't want any text. I guess what I like about the sense of being in the gaps is that really your work seems, seems to me reflects more a kind of inner reality. Well the future and the past kind of match up but right now it never never matches up. Right. Never matches up to what it's meant to be. Exactly. So we construct yeah. the narratives for the yeah. future and for the past, but yeah. in the present, this is your work seems very yeah. much in the present space. My producer was saying to me before that probably produced fifty video works or that thereabouts. Maybe, was, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering when you how, how do you know these when a work is finished? It's the same as a painting. Like it, it needs more, it needs more, it it's, it doesn't need more. Right. And, and you just build it, build it up. I'm, I mean, it's constructed. I guess painting's very difficult because you can't, you can't unmake a mark. You know, it's, each decision is, is like you've got to really consider it. But with editing video, you can, you can go back and forward. So, what's your process, development um, process? Then, do you do a lot of that? Do you go back a lot and remake, rebuild, yeah. as it were? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, you know, it changes. It, it depends on the. The thing. Some, some stuff is difficult, some stuff is easy. It's got its own problem because it's, it's, it takes time and so each time you look at it it's a bit different. It's not as bad as writing, you know, writing's really, really difficult because if you write something every time you read it it's different. Tell me about it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and, and I guess it's why writers really need editors because you've got someone else to to do that. Um, it's not that hard but it, it does have a bit of that. So what does a curator do for you? Do you get, do you get um, value out of curators? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the curators usually come with, they often come with an idea and I'll try to be true to that idea. But So an um, idea for a show that you're responding to in a way or? I'll, or just thoughts or just conversations because I'm always trying to work out life. But life itself is this, this is really reductive small, you know, it's just it just refers to everything that's alive. It's like a two-second idea. And like yeah. if you walk into a room, it takes two t seconds to work out the room. You know, it doesn't take that long to work out the situation as, as it is. What's really there is quite, it's very little there. But um, when you think about it, you, you try and work it out. And what seems to be going on is, is instead of discovering what's actually there, you're like um, being generative and you're just generating all this new stuff and generating all this... I guess ultimately generating like bits of narrative, right? Because that's yeah. that's a way of thinking. Do you see your work as that as well, generating bits of narrative? Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's what we're doing all the time. Well, that's fascinating. Um, thanks for talking to us today, Tahi. It's been a real pleasure, and um, congratulations on a really interesting show. Kia ora. Cool. And that's Circuit Cast for this month. This pod was brought to you with the assistance of Creative New Zealand with music by Orchestra of Spheres. You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes or at circuit.org.nz. We're back next month. See you then.